Today on We Hear, Matt Lauer has been accused of sexual assault and Page Six has the exclusive details. The co-founder of CrossFit is getting married to an alleged murderer and Rihanna may just be the biggest disruptor in the entertainment industry. Oh my God. We're on Page Six? No. Oh. No. Yeah. Another divorce splashed across Page Six. Page Six would have a field day. Hey guys, I'm Maggie Coglin. And I'm Ian Moore, and welcome to We Hear, the Page Six podcast. We hear all the celebrity dirt from our exclusive sources, and you hear the story behind the story. Hey, Ian. Hey, Maggie. How's it going? Pretty good. How are you? I'm amazing. Uh, what's going on with Takashi 69 Oh, Takashi 69 Mm-hmm. It's funny you'd ask Maggie, because I happen to have a story about that. It's very spontaneous that you'd ask me that. Okay, Takashi 69 mm-hmm. is this rapper who has now, he's now in jail, right? Because he flipped on his, on the blood. Mm-hmm. So you've been following this? I have. Initially, he was kind of like an obscure SoundCloud rapper, right? Like rappers who just make homemade songs, put them up on SoundCloud and have like tattooed faces. Right. Like trippy red and like, you know, it's a whole genre uh-huh. of rapper. Like Zan Frank, have you ever heard of Zan Frank? Is that... Oh, I, I'm thinking about Lil Xan. There's Lil Xan. Yeah. Xan is for Xanax in the SoundCloud rapping world, by the way. Yeah. There's Lil Xan, and then he also has face tattoos. Xan Frank actually has a full portrait of Anne Frank tattooed yes, on his face. Yes, I do remember this guy. Which is totally... He hasn't really broken through, though, for some reason. I but anyway, why. But the biggest one out of all of them was Takashi 69 And initially, he was popular as just this freaky little guy because he had like rainbow hair mm-hmm. and like a rainbow grill. And then he was continually getting in trouble with the law. So he made more headlines and pretty disturbing cases. And then he also had some hits and collaborated with some pretty big rappers. Um, but then he got in even more trouble with the law because he was part of a group called the, nine, the, nine, the nine Trey Bloods. The Nine Trey Bloods. <laughs> he He's ended up like flipping on them to basically send these other his cohorts to prison. Mm-hmm. And now he, he was facing 47 years in jail right. on various arms charges and different things. And um, now he's he says he's going to get out. He thinks he's going to get out in 2020. And there was some speculation that he might go into the federal witness relocation program, mm-hmm. which would be maybe the smart thing to do. But Page Six has exclusively reported that he is not going to do that. He's actually he's got an offer to go on tour. He's gotten an offer to make a new album, and he's already going to be making new music as soon as he gets out. And he's also going to go on tour, which might be a little bit difficult if, you know, he's... <laughs> if you're trying to keep a low profile, trying to having keep a snitch low profile. on other people. He might need, like, a kind of, like, rapper Pope mobile where he kind of drives out on stage in, like, a bulletproof golf cart, <laughs> you know? It's also, like, what's the security going to be like at these shows? It's going to be sick. Oh, my God. There's going to be, like... Definitely more than metal detectors. Well, you know what's funny? They're going to have those full things like at the airport that like the weird thing where you put your arms over your head and it goes a zzz, like, a, like a full body scanning unit. Is his music worth all this? Going to a Takashi show is going to require Days. such security measures that it's like I could just yeah. listen to you at home. It's going to have like <laughs> retinal scanning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Apparently, th- there's also a report that he's been offered $10 million Oof. by his former label um, for his next album. And I guess the one thing that's good is he'll have a lot of material, mm. you know, because you'd have to like listen closely to that. It's going to be very dense with 
material or maybe maybe he can't say anything about the case or I don't know, you know, so or his former. I mean, he's doing a lot of talking in that courtroom. It sounds like I don't know what he's going to have left to say on these tracks. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with this. Um, And, you know, we'll I guess we'll be there at the tour. I'll start filling out the paperwork now. All right. Now let's get into a story that's more serious. Parts of Ronan Farrow's forthcoming book, Catch and Kill, have leaked, and one earth-shattering reveal is the allegation that Matt Lauer raped a co-worker named Brooke Nevels during the 2014 Sochi Olympics. Page Six is exclusively reported on the fallout behind the scenes at NBC following the accusation. On Thursday morning, there was a heated meeting where sources told us senior correspondents attacked the network's news chief, Noah Oppenheim. We're told that during the regular 9 a.m. editorial meeting, veteran Today journalists pushed Oppenheim on what network execs knew about the situation before Lauer's accuser went public. In Farrow's book, former NBC News employee Brooke Nevels claims that Lauer raped her in a hotel room in 2014. She later reported her assault to NBC executives, and Lauer was eventually fired as a result. Nevels was put on medical leave in 2018 and was eventually paid more than a million dollars by the network. There's so much to unpack with this Matt Lauer situation. It's been two years since he's left NBC. Yeah, Maggie, I think, you know, we had reported um, before this excerpt from the book was leaked um, that revealed Brooke Neville's name and had her going on the record to say that this was a sexual assault that happened. Mm -hmm. Um, Previously, it was called sexual misconduct. And now she's saying that she was actually raped and then went on to have a relationship with Matt Lauer. Um, we had reported that that this was going to happen. Now it's come out. It's a huge bombshell, and it's really exploded at NBC. I, by the way, I should mention, you said that Noah Oppenheim, the president of NBC News, was attacked at a meeting, was, say, verbally attacked. You know, <laughs> no one uh, tried to strangle him or anything. But we did hear that it got very heated. Yeah, it did. So this was during their regular 9 a.m. editorial meeting, which, you know, is attended by the veteran journalists who have worked on today for a while. And a source told us that these journalists really pushed Oppenheim on what the network knew about the situation before it went public. You know, we're told that a staffer really pressed him on whether Brooke Nevels had used the word assault at the time that she filed her complaint about Lauer. Also, Matt Lauer's former co-anchors have now chimed in on the conversation on air, which I think is really interesting. Savannah Guthrie and Hoda Kotb this week talked about it. You know, they were on air and they said, Savannah said, I feel like we owe it to our viewers to pause for a moment. This is shocking and appalling, and I honestly don't even know what to say about it. I want to say that I know it wasn't easy for a colleague, Brooke, to come forward then. It's not easy now. And we support her and any women who come forward with claims. It's just very painful for all of us at NBC and the Today Show, and it's very, very difficult. Yeah, and Matt Lauer came out with his own statement, right, like a 1,400-word statement and broke his silence on this and his wife has now chimed in. I mean, she basically said, hey, we're divorced and I don't want to say anything about mm-hmm. this except like I'm just caring for my kids. But um But, but his his he released an open letter, fourteen hundred words. I mean that is that is a lot he he said a lot, I think, in his statement. Yeah, well you know? he had said that his silence was a mistake. Um but now it seems like maybe this open letter was a mistake because it's actually um, you know, create even more problems perhaps for him. 
So in Farrow's book, Catch and Kill, Brooke Nevels tells him that she was too drunk to consent to any sex with Lauer. But Lauer, in his open letter, his statement, he fired back and said that Brooke Nevels, quote, seemed to know exactly what she wanted to do and that there was absolutely nothing aggressive about the encounter. That he is kind of minimizing what she has said with this statement, saying she certainly did not cry. She was a fully enthusiastic and willing partner. At no time did she behave in a way that made it appear she was incapable of consent. So because of this, Lauer is now being accused of slut shaming. Yeah, it's also, you know, I think for for NBC, they have said all along that, look, we didn't know anything about this, right? They had their own internal investigation, which is now being called into question. Again, there's another woman who had had a um, an affair with Matt Lauer at NBC who's come out and said, was an internal investigation the right thing to do? And NBC, I think they thought that they could just say, look, like as soon as we knew about this, we fired him and no one ever knew anything about this. Mm -hmm. But now that's being called into question. I think the thing is that, you know, insiders at NBC have always said, like, look, we had heard the rumors about him. We just thought that, you know, he was having, you know, affairs. Mm -hmm kind of that was like his business and they were just rumors and they didn't look into them too deeply. I think the thing is that after the Me Too movement, some of those answers, you know, don't really seem as um, they, they don't make sense to sort of say like, well, that's the way things were. In other words, like if you have a guy, Matt Lauer is in Sochi, right? Mm-hmm. He's he's the host of the Today Show and he's there to do the Olympics. There's like a major job. The guy's making like $25 million a year. So even if you take away the, the assault claim to begin with, it's like, what what is he doing? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So it's like he's getting involved with a junior person at the show and that's what he's doing. And then on top of it, you know, now there's the rape claim. So I just think that now that Brooke Neville's story is coming out and there are more women potentially coming out, I think it's just calling into question the possibility that, you know, if NBC didn't know anything, why didn't they know? Right. And if this was the type of thing that was going on. Right. So Lauer's first accuser was a former production assistant named Addie Zanon. She kind of helped spark the Me Too backlash against Lauer in November 2017. And after uh, Brooke Nevels came out with this and Lauer responded with the open letter, she said, it's troubling that he has no understanding of or empathy for the pain he's inflicted with his brazen and predatory abuse of power on young, vulnerable women who had no voice. Yeah, it's amazing how fast also the story is moving. I mean, I think even though we had reported that this was expected, the details in Ronan Farrow's book of the the alleged attack are so um, grim. I mean, it's just like we thought the story was over in 2017 when they fired him with in 24 hours. You know, it w- was it the last of Lauer. We'd been talking about his divorce from his wife. And now the magnitude of these allegations really has brought it back into the forefront that it is even worse. You know, it, these allegations are even worse than what we had initially heard. As you said in that explosive meeting, 
um, we had reported that there were staffers who were actually like when Noah Oppenheim was addressing the staff, they were they were laughing at him because at one point a staffer had asked, did did Brooke Nevels ever call this an assault when she had reported it? Um, NBC has said that the reason they used the term sexual misconduct in the first place when they got rid of Matt Lauer was that was the term that Brooke Neville's own lawyer used mm-hmm. so that they needed to use the same terminology that her lawyer was using. Um, but apparently when Noah Oppenheim said, you know, he wasn't going to breach her her privacy by, by telling them that uh, as to whether she had ever called this an assault. Uh, we had reported that uh, a source said that at the meeting, everyone laughed at him. Um, and one of the reporters said, pretty sure she's waived that right, you know, when she gave the interview to Pharaoh, and we deserve answers from you. Meantime, there are other sources, of course, at NBC who were saying, this was not an explosive meeting. It was not contentious, you know, that all the questions were answered and, you know, handled properly. But I think that if you have a bunch of reporters in that meeting um, who are angry, you're going to have more people who are kind of going to be breaking ranks with NBC, and there'll be more coming out about this. It's wedding bells and gel cells for CrossFit co-founder Lauren Janai. Janai, who co-founded the fitness craze in 2000, is set to marry accused murderer Franklin Tyrone Tucker while he's inside a Florida detention center, where he's been held for roughly two years. 48-year-old Janai was previously married to her CrossFit co-founder Greg Glassman, who's now the company's CEO. Janai first met Tucker in high school, and they reconnected as adults on Facebook before he was arrested on first-degree murder charges in 2017 following a violent heist gone wrong. As she fought to prove Tucker's innocence, their romance blossomed. Page Six exclusively talked to Lauren Janai, and she told us that their jailhouse wedding would be their first kiss and their first physical contact ever in 30 years. Love knows no bounds, Ian. Maggie, that's true. I love, I feel like Wedding Bells in Jail Cells is like your new country song. Or the name of their reality show. Jail Cells. (laughs) I was doing box jumps and I fell in love with the man behind bars. I like that. That's what they do in CrossFit. They do a lot box of box jumps. jumps. Yeah, what is Cross? I'm the, I actually have reported on this whole thing. I've broken all this CrossFit news. But uh, do you do CrossFit? No. Uh, CrossFit seems a little intense for me. Yeah, what is it really? I mean, what are the actual... I believe it's circuit training. Like you're right. doing a lot of activities and repetition in a circuit. I've seen it on like ESPN too. They have like the CrossFit, like there's yeah. a, there's competitions and stuff. I'm so, I'm in the like, yeah. I think cross- doing CrossFit is like being a vegan and that you immediately know if someone does it instantly upon meeting them. It's like, I got to tell you. Right. I'm cross unfit. I'm like unfit in crossing over into different ways. I'm, I'm like generally just lazy. cross. You're cross. <laughs> well, yeah, this is, a, this is, I would say, one of my favorite ongoing stories. And I, I mean, one great thing about page six, as you know, Maggie, is that we break all this exclusive news, but then you also get to like follow these kind of mini soap operas. Yeah. And so I started writing about this story in January of this year when I found out that there's this woman, as you mentioned, Lauren Janai, who was married to uh, the CEO of CrossFit, um, which which at one time, like a few years ago, was valued, you know, in the billions. Totally. They, they went through a pretty acrimonious and publicly messy divorce, which mm. lasted for four years. So she got divorced in 2013. She ended up selling her CrossFit shares 
and got $20 million. Mm -hmm. So she's living in Portland, Oregon. And I was there last weekend. Oh, yeah. I saw that on Instagram. Looked very leafy. (laughs) Anyway, so she was living in Portland, Oregon. She's divorced. And she had reconnected with this old high school friend, as you said, Franklin Tyrone Tucker, who goes by Ty on Facebook. So she's like, they're following each other on Facebook, as you do with your old, you know, buddies, Mm -hmm. Maggie. And um, then she got a message from somebody that said he needed her help this sort of ominous message on Facebook, like Ty needs your help. Mm. So she looks into it and it turns out that he had been arrested in the Florida Keys in something called locally the treehouse murder. Oh, God. It's always a recipe for disaster where you have a murder and a treehouse. I mean, I think a murder by itself is just a recipe for disaster, regardless of the venue. Yeah, well, I'm from Brooklyn, Maggie. You take it to the treehouse and then it's, you know, even worse. The point is that they reconnect. He needs her help. It turns out he's been it turns out that this guy had fallen on hard times and was was homeless Mm -hmm. in Key West. Mm-hmm. And um, basically, the treehouse murder, really quickly, Maggie, if you didn't follow it, was a uh, it was like a drug deal gone wrong and it ended up in a stabbing. This guy is arrested. Lauren starts to look into his case and is convinced that he's innocent, that they've got the wrong guy. And mm-hmm. he's actually like still awaiting trial. He's been in a detention center for two years. So as they uh, as she gets involved with this case, they started to do some like video visitation, mm-hmm. right? They haven't seen each other since high school in 30 years. And uh, and they struck up a relationship and they st- and they began to have feelings for each other. And then they got engaged. So she's gotten engaged to a man who is behind bars who mm-hmm. she hasn't seen. And she even, she she has tried to get him out of jail. She offered to put up a million dollars um, bond mm-hmm. that he hasn't gotten out. She also told me that she's, um, when they get married, there's going to be no prenup. Wow. Yeah, so she's like a multi-millionaires marrying a guy who's in jail, accused of murder, and she loves him so much there's no prenup. What um, is his sentence? Is he there for life? He's not. That's the thing is he's awaiting trial. Oh, he hasn't okay. been sentenced oh, yet. Oh, God. He's so he's literally years. just waiting in this like jail. Mm-hmm. It's not like he's in, in prison. Right. But the thing is, so his case is ongoing, but we have exclusively reported now that they are getting married. It looks like it's going to happen this month. And it'll be, as you said, the first time that they have seen each other in person since high school. And at the wedding, it'll be their very first kiss. Wow. But yeah, so anyway, we've been following the story and and the latest is that they're going to get married this month. The um the chaplain at the jail has has approved this. They have to take marriage counseling classes together over the phone. And uh but I do know that now they can apply apparently for some type of physical contact. But after wait. The wedding. She said, as for conjugal visits, I assume this is never going to happen. Yeah, but that's the latest in the case, Maggie, in this breaking news that I keep getting in this case. It's been a while since we've heard any new music from Rihanna, and that's because the 31-year-old has been beyond busy. Later this month, she's releasing a visual autobiography in the form of a coffee table book with over a thousand photos. Her Fenty fashion and beauty empires are thriving. Her charity recently raised more than $5 million at its fifth annual Diamond Ball, and Forbes named her the wealthiest female musician in the world. One term that comes up often while discussing Rihanna is disruptor, and rightfully so. 
Makeup lines have now had to release a wider range of shades to keep up with Fenty Beauty. Her Savage Fenty fashion show show premiered the same year the legendary Victoria's Secret fashion show decided to go on hiatus due to plummeting ratings, and she's not afraid to say exactly what's on her mind. She's doing things on her own terms and changing the way other industries conduct business. Is Rihanna the biggest disruptor in the entertainment industry? Page Six senior reporter Carlos Greer is here to tell us all about it. <laughs> hey, guys. How are you? Hey, Carlos. Hey, Carlos. <laughs> Thanks for coming on We Here, the Page Six podcast. Uh, you know, I love it. It's pretty cool. Good to see you guys. Yeah, no, she is a huge disruptor, probably the disruptor in the music business for sure, but mm-hmm. certainly in the entertainment business. She has um, her beauty line, and now she's disrupting the fashion world with mm-hmm. her house for LVMH. Yeah. 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 Can you go through, like, for the uninitiated of the sort of Fenty brand, can you go through a little bit, like, what is Fenty and what is Savage by Fenty, and what's the difference between those lines? Well, Fenty is Rihanna's last name, Robin Mm -hmm. Fenty, and that's her brand. Her beauty brand is Fenty, and it disrupted the beauty uh, industry, I think, maybe, what, three years ago Mm -hmm. when she first came out with her first uh, beauty line? And she really provided shades, shades upon shades upon shades, and uh, particularly for women of color, Mm -hmm. you know, brown and black women, they'd not been able to um, experience a beauty industry um, in, in, in its full way until Rihanna came along and other beauty industry, uh, other beauty products and cosmeto- cosmetology products, they had to pretty much wake up and get with the times and start uh, providing different shades for um, for women of color. Right. And, uh, so, and, and that essentially made Rihanna a global beauty brand. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fenty, Savage by Fenty is her uh, fashion line, which is, uh, she just had a huge fashion show here in New York City. I think the Savage by Fenty is what came out three mm-hmm. years right. ago, not the beauty, but it all sort of came out. But it's all under the Fenty umbrella, right? Right. And sa- is Savage the like the lingerie like, line, mm-hmm. right? Or yeah, and it's sort of it's the lingerie. Yeah, it's the lingerie line, but the, again, Rihanna disrupting <laughs> because she has fashion and she has lingerie, and so she's been having these huge fashion shows for Savage by Fenty with major stars the most recent one was with Laverne Cox Gigi Mm -hmm. and Bella Hadid they're huge fans of this brand and you know again she has she's um it's all different types of body shapes. I mean, again, it's like the you you go to her show and you see every type of woman represented. Yeah, I thought I have to admit like when Fenty first came out, I just assumed that it was kind of another vanity project Mm -hmm. because like you get these releases and like every single star is like launching some business and um whether it's fashion brands or liquor brands but rihanna is actually she's partnered with lvmh as you mentioned and also with amazon on the savage by fenty Mm -hmm. show so she's really like it's not just a kind of she's not just the face it's not a vanity project in fact she's not the face of uh of a lot of her things in fact uh she just gave this interview to vogue magazine where she talked about how she's not the face of her brand but she's very much a part of her brand she's in on these meetings she's actually making the choices and when people go to her websites and they see her products they want to know that Rihanna is actually using them that Rihanna is actually wearing it and if and if it doesn't look like something Rihanna will wear something Rihanna will do she scraps it Mm mm-hmm so she's on the cover of Vogue this month, going into November. And, like, we haven't heard that much about the music in a really long time because she's been so busy. And she talks to the writer a little about how the next album her fans are calling R9 because it's her ninth album. Mm-hmm. But do we think we're ever going to hear 
R9, this reggae album she's been like hinting at for a long time. I think we are going to get music, and people are talking about it. Uh, in fact, her Navy, the, that's what she calls her fans, mm-hmm. they are livid. It's kind of <laughs> funny. They're actually livid about all these other things that she's dipping her toes into, like the beauty and the fashion. They're not happy about it because right. they want new music. And Rihanna, she responds to them. But, you know, this is different from just a an artist taking a break from music. Rihanna is clearly very busy building mm-hmm. these brands, and she... she um, She's hinted that she's been working on a reggae album, but she's not very specific about what we're going to hear. She doesn't have time to be in the studio as much as she used to, but we should be getting new music. But every 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 year, it's it's odd that we have to say every year now because it has been that long. Right. People are anticipating it. Yeah. And she also revealed in the Vogue interview that she's in an exclusive relationship, right, with a mm-hmm. billionaire named... Mm-hmm. Hassan Jamil. Mm-hmm. Do yes. we know anything about this guy or this relationship or how long it's been going on? Well, I have reported on it and she's very quiet about it. But, you know, sources have told me in the past that she is very much in love with him. We don't hear much about him. Definitely not from her. We rarely even see them together. Mm-hmm. And it seems like this is something that she is definitely protecting. Even in the article, she did say that she's with someone that she's been with for a very long time. And it is him. And... um She's been living in London. I don't know if they're the living life, together, the but she's been Rihanna. living and living in London, and so, yeah. Um, so yeah, so she's away from the paparazzi in LA, mm. so we don't see them much. So something else that's come from this Vogue cover story is that there's been a little bit of backlash about the writer because yeah. in the story, the writer who is named Abby Aguirre yeah. says that she was unprepared. She says, "Normally, I bring a list of questions, but I didn't have time to prepare one." which I make a split-second decision to confess. I'm winging it, so you have to help me, I nervously say. Rihanna flashes a grin that is somehow both reassuring and mischievous and says, aren't we all? Would you wing it with Rihanna? Yeah. I personally would not wing it with Neither would Rihanna. I. Actually, actually, Carlos is interviewing Rihanna tonight. tonight, right? I am interviewing her tonight, and I'm you not prepared. going He's to prepared. wing it. I mean, it's a very different kind of interview. It's mm-hmm. a red carpet for her uh, book party, the coffee book that we were talking about. She's having a huge event tonight at mm-hmm. uh, the Guggenheim. And so it's going to be a red carpet interview, very different from a Vogue cover story. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's lots of thoughts about this. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people invoke privilege. They're saying right. that, that it's a, a white privilege to... And the reason they're saying that is mm-hmm. because Rihanna is a huge star. She's right. also a black woman, but she's one of the biggest stars on mm-hmm. the planet. And, you know, if you are not preparing mm-hmm. for to interview one of the biggest stars on the planet for Vogue cover at that, it's disrespectful. Right. But the fact that, again, I'm not defending the writer, but the fact that she included it in her piece, mm-hmm. it seemed like it was fun banter. And it could have been even an icebreaker for her and Rihanna because Rihanna's response was priceless. Right. She said, aren't, aren't we, we all? all? But right. and and you know and, and that to me is telling that she did her research because that is a very Rihanna thing yeah. to say. Well, the part about privilege, Sylvia Obel, who writes for BuzzFeed, who I'm a big fan of her work. Yes, me too. She wrote this great tweet that says, "Privilege." She is, writes for Essence too. Yeah, privilege <laughs> is being able to show up to an interview with one of the world's biggest stars with no questions written, admit it to said star, write it in the story, and the editor letting the line go to print because no one is concerned it will make anyone question your ability to do your job. Mm-hmm. Like, nail the sentiment there. Yeah, and there was a bunch of news that actually came out of the mm-hmm. interview, like we mentioned, the boyfriend. Um, but the other thing was Rihanna confirmed that she mm-hmm. turned down the Super Bowl last year or earlier this year, the one that Maroon 5 ended up playing, and yeah. she turned it down because 
she was sort of standing in solidarity with Colin Kaepernick. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was pretty outspoken about it, saying that, you know, she wasn't going to sell out basically and do the Super Bowl. But there had been rumors, right, that she had turned it down and mm-hmm. just she had she had never confirmed it before and said why. Yeah. Well, I mean, my sources told me she did turn it. So it wasn't a rumor to me, but yeah. <laughs> right. But but, uh, but yeah, she did address it. And again, that goes to show, I think that writer knew, she researched Rihanna to mm-hmm. know, you know, Rihanna's stance mm-hmm. on the NFL and the Super Bowl. But that's a very poignant statement that Rihanna made. You know, I, I would love to hear her thoughts after after hearing that and reading it from her own mouth. Mm-hmm. I would love to know her thoughts about the NFL controversy and Rock Nation and Jay-Z because she's also a part of Rock Nation. Right. The you writer know. was too unprepared to, uh, to ask that question, ask that Carlos. Question. <laughs> you would have asked it. Vogue, <laughs> if you're I listening. I wonder if I should ask it tonight. Yes. Yeah, you should. Yeah. I mean, but carpets are very different from a cover story. I mean, she talked about politics in that story. Right. She said, how, how much time do you have for this? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not going to have that much time. But, right. I like I, but she, I do want to know that. I like that she said, uh, the writer said to her, like, let's talk about your personal life. And she's like, nothing is more personal than They're talking po- about politics. I, like, agree, yes, Rihanna. Rihanna, I agree, Rihanna. I agree. Maggie, earlier you mentioned that this coffee table book is being billed as a visual autobiography. Mm-hmm. So, like, what is that? Is it, it basically, is it just a book of photos, but they're calling it a visual autobiography? From, from my understanding, it's a book of photos. And it is autobiographical. There are words. You know, I think there's little stories with some of the photos. But, you know, she she chose those photos. Right. And I think they went through 400,000 mm-hmm. photos. Like, how wow. do you even choose a Rihanna Photo and they chose a thousand and it's in chronological order. And you know, I, I I will see it tonight. We'll talk about it. We'll probably have a story or two from it. Uh, but no, it, it's a major moment. Now she's disrupting the coffee book world. <laughs> I love it. And we learned in the same Vogue piece that at the Diamond Ball, Cardi B spent $111,000 on a copy of the book with a special stand. The money all goes to tra- charity, but if Cardi B thinks it's worth six figures, then I can't wait to see what's in it. That was a lot of shmoney. <laughs> <laughs> but that's well, pretty cool. Well, thanks so much for coming in, Carlos. It was great talking with you. Thank you, guys. Can't wait to do it again. It's time for our favorite part of the show. Let's take a look in the Page Six vault to see what ancient celebrity juicy exclusive we've uncovered from yesteryear. Let's check out a headline from 2016. Three years ago, Page Six published the headline, Leo and baseball great Hank Aaron dine at Rayo's. Leo's table listened to Hank tell what it was like to chase and finally break Babe Ruth's home run record when he was getting hate mail and death threats. Leo, who's focusing on his environmental work after winning an Oscar for The Revenant, was heard remarking that it's about time someone made a movie about Aaron's life. Rayo's, a New York institution. Yeah, I mean, we've written a lot about Rayo's, Maggie, because, you know, it's a restaurant in New York that's impossible to get into. I mean, literally, you can't really make a reservation there because people own their table. So you Mm -hmm. kind of have to be invited by somebody who has a table. So like Bo Deedles had like Thursday nights at eight o'clock. I think he's had that table since like this 1970s. Wow. Basically. Yeah. So it's a big deal to be seen there. It means you've got some pretty powerful yeah, like, connections. Exactly. And it's like a quintessential New York um, place. Yeah. We just did an item about a, a city harvest benefit where a single meatball was auctioned for $100. Was the meatball like you could eat it 
on the spot or I don't know actually that's a good question or was it a meatball to be named later <laughs> like a future meatball I don't know the thing I actually love about this item Maggie is I love when we have items where the, the, there are these weird like mashups of yeah. people because like having Leonardo DiCaprio and Hank Aaron it's almost like that's like the cover of like the Sergeant Pepper's album or yeah. something where you have like Albert Einstein and like Louis Armstrong mm-hmm. and like you know the Beatles together yeah. or something like that Totally. I feel like Rayo's is like a greatest hits for New York. I wasn't suggest I wasn't trying to compare Leonardo DiCaprio to Albert Einstein per se. Mm. Seventh grade <laughs> me would have been like, go ahead. That's I mean, my man. The other thing about this. Yeah. The other thing about the item, too, that is like you can tell, like, remember vinyl like that seemed like it was oh going to be God, such a big yeah. hit. And Bo Deedle was on vinyl. Bo Deedle is such a great name. It w- I actually, I sat at his table once at Rayo's mm-hmm. and it was like, it was like the most fun I ever had, but I had nothing, I had like nothing to offer. It's really weird. Like I've covered so many events and like parties and social things and whatever mm-hmm. that at one time I just got to this point where I, I, I sort of prided myself on being able to talk about any topic for like three minutes. Right. So like if I had a cocktail party and someone brings up like fly fishing, I'm like, blah, blah, blah. And then I'm like, I'll, I'll be back. That's called you know, being a generalist. It is you can speak or write about any topic, really. I, exactly. I would consider that you being a generalist. Thank you. And and exactly. But they have <laughs> the big dishes there besides the meatball, which you mentioned. Um, lemon chicken is a very big one, I, I think. <laughs> and it's pretty awesome. I, mean, I think it's all like cash only mm. if you do get a chance to go up there. Go to the ATM. Go to the ATM. The chef is amazing. His name is Dino Gatto, who's awesome. I, I have met Dino. He's an amazing dude. Well, that's it. For I this know guys episode. named Dino. <laughs> well, that's it for this episode of We Here. To hear the latest We Here episodes, be sure to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of your preferred podcast platforms. You can find more of the hottest celebrity news and gossip by signing up for our newsletter and by visiting page6.com. We'll be back next Monday with more Page 6 exclusives. See you then. <laughs>